resurrection. We celebrated last week, Easter Sunday, after the resurrection, and Jesus stuck around for a little while. Um, he hung around for close to seven weeks, six to seven weeks. And he was there, he lived with his people, he walked with his people, he ate with his people, he taught with his people. Um, there was more than just 12 that were there, of course. There were over 100 people that gathered around, they were excited about what was going on. And if you read through the rest of the New Testament, you'll find out that Jesus actually had a face-to-face -face encounter with over 500 people. So it's not just the testimony of 11 or 12 or 15 or 20. Over 500 people saw Jesus after he was raised from the dead. And that movement, that Jesus movement, the resurrection movement, uh, caught fire. And it was a pretty powerful thing during that time. And then at the end of those 40 or so days, Jesus got together with his followers and said, I'm about to leave again. Uh, at first, I, I left and I was killed. But I got out of that and here we are. And now I'm going to leave again. So the question, obviously, that they all had was, what do we do now? Like, this is the Jesus movement. Without Jesus, how are we going to be able to move this thing along? And Jesus said, I've told you over and over, there's a gift that my Father is going to give you. I've talked about it over and over, and that gift is coming, so I want you to go to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait. Wait on the gift that's coming. They had been baptized with water, and Jesus said, now you're going to be baptized with the Spirit, this gift of the Holy Spirit. I can only be in one place at one time because I've chosen to limit myself as I wrap myself up in skin and bones and lived life here for 33 years. But I'm leaving, and one is coming that is going to be able to do even greater things through you because he's going to be with you all. So when Jesus said, don't worry, I'm going to be with you until the very end, he was being very serious about that. He said, the Holy Spirit is going to be sent, but you need to go to Jerusalem where the Spirit will be given. So they went to Jerusalem to wait on this gift that God was going to give them. At the same time, thousands of other people were coming to Jerusalem for a different reason. There was a celebration called Pentecost. And every time we turn around, we open the story of God, it looks like they're celebrating again. They partied a lot. So when you see inflatables walking out going, what's the deal? Listen, it's biblical. A lot of celebrating, a lot of partying went on with the people. It was gathered around certainly a holy moment that God had struck in their lives, but there was a lot of celebrating. Well, the people were coming to celebrate this thing called Pentecost. The first harvest doesn't mean a whole lot to us right now, but it was really important to the Jewish people, and they had been observing this for thousands of years. Well, thousands of people were coming to celebrate this from all different walks of life. Say, wait a minute, it's a Jewish thing. The Jewish people are mostly there in Jerusalem. Why would anyone who is from a non-Jewish province or territory come to celebrate Pentecost in Jerusalem? Well, there were a lot of Jewish people that had been scattered out 700 years earlier when the exile happened, when another country came in and dominated Israel and Judah and took away their people. Even when they were able to come back, many of them chose to stay. They just said, I'll stay here. I'm going to live a life here. I'll find someone to marry, and I'll have a home and a family, and I'll just live here. So they held on to their faith, but they lost their language, and they lost their customs. And they, after generation, they just passed down words and stories, but they didn't really have a place to be able to worship in the way that those who were in Jerusalem did. But during Pentecost, during Passover, those other celebrations, they would come in. So thousands of people coming from all walks of life are coming in to celebrate together. Well, they show up at this one spot at this one particular time. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, it says, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, 
And suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Now, not all the thousands of people, by the way. This was the followers of Jesus waiting on the gift. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. So a couple of pretty wild things happening here. One, the ground began to shake. Things are happening. It's like a tornado of worship going through the room. And when the tornado of worship went through the room, what looked like flames of fire rested on each one. Now, it wasn't most likely a torch kind of fire. Otherwise, their hair would have burned up and it would have been a mess everywhere. But what looked like, it says, tongues of fire. Now, why I want to bring that out is simply this. In the Old Testament, we've gone through the story of God in the Old Testament before. Every time God's presence was presented in a place, whether it's with the Ark of the Covenant or whether in the tabernacle, a place of worship, or when God was appearing to Moses on Mount Sinai and said, here are the Ten Commandments, there was a fire that symbolized the presence of God. So the people could look and say, God's presence is over there. Let's go to where God's presence is. So they were able to follow God's presence by looking at the fire. And here on this day, when they received this gift, it says it rested on each one of them. In other words, God was saying, listen, there was a time when my presence was here and you had to come to me. But I've come to you in the form of Jesus. And yes, he's gone, but I am now about to create temples in all of your hearts. Every one of you who believe, you now have my presence in you. You're not looking at other people, looking for the fire, looking for a place to go to arrive at me. You're actually going to be able to house my spirit just as you are. So incredibly significant for them, and that's why it says it was above each one. But then also you've got this thing where they start talking in languages, languages they should not have already known. Well, you've got the commotion, you've got the tornadic experience, and the people on the outside from all these other countries are hearing the commotion, it catches their attention, and in this room where everybody's worshiping, they hear their own languages being spoken, and they're confused. Like, how are they speaking our language? Um, here at our campus on, at 10 a.m. on Sundays, at the room uh, up on the hill behind me, and then at 1 p.m. in this room, uh, there's a Korean church family that meets and worships, and they don't do anything in English when they meet to worship. And imagine coming in at 1 o'clock, you, you overslept, and you thought it was the service that, th that this one is, and you sat in the back, and all you heard was Korean uh, language being spoken and worshiped and sung, and then there's a, a movement, their windows are rattling and shaking, and immediately you're able to understand exactly what's being said. I mean, that's weird. It kind of weird you out. Or, or, has something happened to them? Did something happen to me? What is going on? So the people were trying to process what had happened. And many of the skeptics said, listen, they're just drunk. I know it's early in the morning, but they've been drinking too much, which doesn't really make sense. Because when was the last time you were around someone who drank and got smarter? Like, when did that happen? Like, you know, I've, I'm making poor decisions, and now I'm learning languages. Like, that usually doesn't happen. You, if anything, you go the other way. You make worse decisions. So the crowd was like, that's not happening. And I love the way Peter, in a moment, he steps up, and his response was, it's 9 a.m. No one gets drunk at 9 a.m. Well, but no one gets drunk at 9 a.m. So he's looking around saying, this is not happening. What is really going on? So Peter stands up. He expresses that. Then he says, listen, there was a prophet named Joel that all of you are familiar with who followed God. 
And he talked about a time when God was for, would pour out his spirit on people. And this is happening now. He said, and furthermore, before Joel, King David wrote songs. And many of those songs pointed to what happened just recently. Many of the prophecies in his songs were fulfilled in the person of Jesus. And you killed him. But we've seen him. He's alive. And all this is happening because of the resurrected power of Jesus. So he's preaching to the crowds, the masses that have come around now to figure out what's going on. And in chapter 2, verse 37, after he's preached, it says, Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart, and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on urging them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. So there, in that moment, is the birth of the church. It wasn't years later, people saying, I'm bored on Sundays, what can we do? It wasn't years later, people saying, I don't feel like anyone respects us and our beliefs. Let's band together. Let's make something official. Let's organize ourselves, and then we'll be legitimate. No, none of that. It was this day when God poured out his spirit on his followers. Peter preached, and 3,000 people said, I am all in with that. I don't get it all. I don't understand it all. But what I do understand, I accept. I'm putting my trust there. And that was the birth of the church. And it's important for us as we move forward to get this. So what started the church? One, people who believed. They didn't all understand the same things because they all didn't have the same background. Some of them grew up in a house where all these prophecies were talked about by some wise person, a mom or dad, a grandparent, whatever it was, and they knew it. Others knew a little bit. Some of them perhaps just saw Jesus and said, if that's God's mercy and love, I want that. Others had heard stories and were living thousands of miles away, or hundreds of miles away at least, if not thousands, and they had come in and said, okay, I now believe. So they all had different understandings, but they chose to believe. So they believed. Secondly, they had been baptized. Peter said, repent, be baptized, you'll receive the Spirit. So they had said, resurrection power is happening, and I want to give a picture of that. I'm not ashamed of it. I want to be raised up out of that water just as Jesus was raised up from that dead. I want to be cleansed. I want to be new again. I want people to know that. And so they were baptized. And then third, they were filled. That was it. He said, repent, baptize, you'll receive the Holy Spirit. So they, were, they believed, they were baptized, and they were filled with the Spirit. That was the beginning of the church. That was what started the church. Now, Today, oftentimes, we get into it over, well, is it belief, or is it baptism, or is it the Spirit, or which one? That was not really a thing for them, because they didn't stop and go, which one of the three do I feel like today? Which one am I okay with? How far will I go? It was all together, a little bit like marriage. Imagine believing being the, will you marry me, I will, and the baptism being the wedding ring, the visible expression and then the filling being, we're going to go live together. We'll be together every day. Where I go, you go. Where you go, I go. Well, imagine speaking with someone that says, I really want to marry you, but I ain't wearing that ring. I don't want anybody to know. Well, that's not a great invitation. Or I'll tell you what, I'll wear that ring, and maybe I'll marry you, but I ain't going to live with you. I do not want to be around you that much. There's no way we can get the. It, it all goes together. And he said, repent. 
be baptized, and be filled. Like, it's, it's all together. Now, we could theologically argue about stuff all day long about when and how, and, but he said the invitation is to believe, to be baptized, and be filled with the Spirit. It was just assumed that if you're all in with Jesus, if he says, I want you to be baptized, you say, okay. You don't say, well, I don't know about today. I'm not quite sure this is good. It's going to work in my schedule or my hair or my, I mean, okay. Like, I am all in with you. You died for me. You raised up from the dead. And you called me to live in freedom. I don't have any questions. What else do you want me to do? So it was believe, be baptized, and be filled. But what kept the church going? Because just like with any marriage, the, the excitement of that whole thing, that the beginning of it all, lasts about 36 hours. And then it's like, well, reality is setting in. And any marriage that is, is growing and strong and healthy has to continue to work. So what kept the church going? Well, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So four things there, and I, I know you understand what those mean, but I just want to highlight those for a moment. One, they were committed to learning together. They were committed to figuring out what it is that they had already believed. And I love the fact that they said, I'm going to believe, and now let me understand what it is I've really believed. I believed in Jesus, now tell me more about him. Because it just makes sense. I want to know what this whole thing is. And they were committed, not just to learning on their own, learning together as a church. They said, if we're going to move forward with this, this is going to be priority. Also, being together. It says that once they devoted themselves to that teaching, they also devoted themselves to fellowship. To being a part of each other's lives. To being okay with knowing people, but not being okay with just knowing their names. Being willing to say... I sit by you, I sit near you, we sing together on and on and on every week, but I don't know you. I want to know who you are, I want to know what's going on in your lives. And I know we look at this and go, I, I don't think I can do that. Because somehow we've convinced ourselves that we've invented privacy, we've invented uh, being an introvert, and we've invented all, <laughs> it was happening then too. It wasn't like God just chose to save a bunch of people who had no boundaries and no personal space and just wanted to hug and, you know, and greet each other and, and read the Bible all day long. That wasn't natural for anyone. But God had done this thing in their lives, and they were going to commit to being a part of it, whatever it took. So they're learning together. They're being together. Three, they're worshiping together. They committed to spending that time going from house to house, being together, observing uh, the Lord's Supper and communion and having meals together and the whole deal. They prioritized worshiping together and then for praying together. You know, I've noticed, and you have too, that when people want prayer, they say, would you please pray for me or would you pray for this? When was the last time someone said, would you pray with me about this? What's the difference? That word is a huge, huge difference maker. Because pray for means head out to your car, don't stop and ask questions, but just pray for this at some point during this week. Send me a text telling me you remembered and you were praying for this. Pray with me means drop to your knees now and let's talk to God about this. No one, no one wants that. In fact, if we wanted to raise blood pressure and indigestion and everything else in our church family, just try it on your way out. Stop by and say, hey, would you kneel and pray with me now? I mean, just it, there are all the motions that you have, just all the insecurities. Like, ah, I'm not there. Chad, where? I mean, what's going on? I need you. And they prayed together because they realized they were all in the same place. They were all trying to figure this thing out. They were all trying to know what it is to be a follower of Jesus. 
I mean, we're ashamed of saying, I don't know this. I don't understand all that. I know I need help here. My enemy is not in front of me. My enemy is, is much a bigger spiritual battle. I need help with this. And would you pray with me? And it says they prayed together. So what's the, what was the result of learning together, being together, worshiping together, and praying together? And this is the verse I want to leave you with today. Acts chapter 2, verse 43. It says, everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. Their church experience, their understanding of what it was to be a church was this, that everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, of I am awestruck over what God is doing in me, around me, to me, and through me, and I can't get over it. And there was a sense of, wow. You know, there are very few things that any of us are in awe over. Um, We go maybe to the beach, you know, once a year, and you sit out there at night, you're sitting in the sand, and when that moon pops on that ocean and you're just watching the waves crash around, that for me is like my moment where I'm, I'm dialed in. And you've got little weird kids not observing my personal space, running all around trying to find crabs in the sand. I'm just like, I find, do your thing. Like, I am, I am right here. I am in awe of this. Or maybe for some of you, it's that sunrise over the mountains, and you just could sit back. It takes your breath away. Maybe if you're an athlete, you love watching someone else at the height of his or her ability be able to perform in a way that no one else can. You're just in awe or a band, or a vocalist, a dancer, whatever it is, it just takes your breath away. And when you're in awe, you don't have many distractions because you're just so into what's happening. And there are things going on around you're oblivious to because you're so focused on what it is. And you're not worried about if it's convenient to be here. It doesn't matter. I love this. Is it inconvenient? It doesn't matter. Did I have to stay up all night to get tickets? Did I have to wait in line all day? It doesn't matter. Like, this is so important. No one watches their clock when they're in awe. No one says, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Oh, I need to go. No, you don't do that. Like, you're in. Like, it's, it's in. And it says the church kept continually feeling a sense of awe. Of every day getting up going, wow, we get to be a part of this. So their experience was to be in awe. But what does a church in awe look like? I want to share with you from Acts chapter 2, verse 43. It says, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles, and all the believers were together and had all things in common, and they would sell their property and possessions and share them with all to the extent that everyone, or anyone rather, had need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord was adding to their number daily those who were being saved. No wonder. I mean, who doesn't want to be a part of that? A place where there are signs and wonders going on, where it's love for each other is visible to everyone. There's an incredible amount of energy and excitement and enthusiasm. We all want to be a part of that. But what, you know, what if we're not? What if that's not who we are? And what would that really look like for us anyway? I mean, is that really going to happen? Is it possible 2,000 years later to experience that? What does a church in awe look like? Well, I want to briefly go back over some of those things quickly that were mentioned. One, he said signs and wonders. Now, I've never seen the lame walk. I've never seen the blind given sight. But I know God can. I know God is able. I know everything is possible. But maybe some of those signs and wonders are different for you and me. Maybe it is seeing a sickness healed. Maybe it is seeing a disease removed. A miraculous turnaround that no one could see happening. 
Or maybe it's an addiction being removed or someone being able to break free from something that's held them back for a long time or overcoming bitterness or anger or, 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 or frustrations or, or, or lack of forgiveness. Maybe it's being freed up from a pornography or some sort of pill or whatever is going on in our lives. And we're all surrounded by it. And many of you are struggling with it. But you assume this is going to be your life. Like this is who you are. You'll just deal with this for the rest of your life in private. Signs and wonders. Stuff can happen. God can free and God can heal and God can remove. And God is not finished with us. And that was happening with them. Also, sharing and sacrificing. I think that was Pentecost. Just happened. That sound. Uh, Sharing and what was happening all around. They were loving and caring for each other, meeting each other's needs. If you read through the rest of Acts, you read that there were people who would sell portions of their land, take the proceeds, give it to the church, and say, let this, let this help someone. And when they're meeting each other's needs, they're not saying, I can't pay my Netflix bill this month. Can you help? Like, no, like real needs. Like, I don't have food. I don't have clothes. I'm not going to be able to pay this doctor bill. I'm not going to be able to do this. People meeting needs in a real sincere kind of way. So there was sharing and sacrificing going on. Third, there was also joy and togetherness. They just enjoyed being together. They were together even when they didn't have to be. Like, that's a sign of a great friend. Some of you are together on Sundays at 1030 because you kind of have to be if you're going to show up and worship. But you would not choose to be together otherwise. They were so in awe of what God was doing in and through them that they wanted to be around their spiritual family in that moment. Also talks about God. He said they were constantly praising. And the way I think you and I look at this is they talked about Jesus when they didn't have to. It's easy for us in these moments to call out Jesus' name as we're singing the song. When was the last time you and someone else in this room just had to talk about Jesus? I don't know if that's ever happened. Well, not to make you feel bad about it, but it should be. Like, it shouldn't be that unnatural. If you've known me for five years and you just found out my wife's name is Christy, there's a problem. Like, that should come out at some point before. Like, that, that should be a thing. And no one should, after 25 years, go, oh, you're, you're into Jesus and stuff? Yeah, I'm into Jesus and stuff. I'm sorry I haven't told you. It's been 20-something years. I've, I don't know why I haven't brought it up. They talked about faith. They didn't preach at each other. You don't need any more than one of those in your life. Trust me. So they didn't preach at each other, but they talked about their faith. They talked about Jesus with each other and what he was doing in their lives. And then favor with people. He said they had favor with all the people. That's important. There was very little drama in the early days of the church. Just take that in. There was very little drama in the early days of the church. You say, well, how is that possible? They weren't perfect. We're not perfect. They were so in awe of what God was doing. They didn't have time to get so bent over what each other was doing. They were just in awe of the fact that God was using ordinary people like them to shape the world. And they were just too focused on it. It was their sunset. It was their sunrise. It was their moment. It was their tiger putting on 18th green. Like, I am in this thing. I'm watching it. I don't care what's going on around me. I don't have time for this stuff. And if you and I are not in awe, you know, we tend to get sidetracked on other things around us. And then lastly, just new people. They were changed lives daily. Daily people were being added to their church fam. So you're telling me that first church... Just in awe, church had signs, wonders, sacrifice, sharing, joy, togetherness, talked about God even when they didn't have to, had favor with people, and new people were coming every day. I sure wish our church was like that. Amen. I sure wish we were a part of that. But we still can be. I don't think we're intellectually missing anything. I just think at some point along the way, 
we forgot what it was to be a church in awe. Just to be overwhelmed with what God has done for us and through us. And we're not going to be a church in awe until we're people in awe of God. Daily in awe of who he is. So if you're asking that question for yourself, I just simply want to encourage you. If you've never taken that first step and you're not really a part of the church, you belong to us as friends, but you're not a part of the church. I hope today would be the day that you would say, I don't know it all, but I believe what I know. In just a moment, as we finish up, take that connect card and say, today I've become a follower of Jesus. Take that to the welcome desk when you're done and say, I've made that decision today. Or you've believed, but you've not been baptized and you're ready to do that same thing. Just fill that thing out, take it in and say, I'm ready. I'm not waiting around anymore. I'm not ashamed of my ring. I belong to Jesus. I'm doing this thing. And maybe you're stuck on the spirit part going, I don't don't know if I'm filled with the spirit. I guess I am. But the way I live and the way I struggle with temptation, I'm not really sure I've got a whole lot of power here. Listen, it's not that complicated. You just stop where you are and pray and say, God, I think you're all in me, all over me and all through me. But if there's any part of me that you don't possess, like, come on in, fill me up to overflowing. Because if I've been resistant, I resist no more. Fill me up. And that's something God's definitely going to respond to. He says, repent, believe, be baptized. That's the beginning of the church. And then after that, are you committed to next steps? And I'm going to stop here, but I want to encourage you this. If you feel like you're stuck, knowing or where you are, wondering what's next, not knowing what to do, um, on May the 9th, I think that's the Monday, uh, on May the 9th and May 16th, and then on May 23rd, we're going to have something called All In. And I'm opening up to the church family, and you have to come to all three. So I know that's a a challenge, nightmare uh, for your schedule. I get that. And we'll do it later on in the year a few more times, but just to allow you the opportunity to be a part of what we're calling All In, where we're going to look through what is it to be a growing follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a part of the church? And what does it mean to be a part of the bridge? And how can I plug in and take that next step wherever I am in my journey? And if you want to be a part of that, you're willing to commit to those times, uh, today I encourage you to go to the website, front page, bridgeclarksville.com, and fill out the All In form. And we're going to cap the number at probably 40. If there are 42, I might show mercy over Jesuit, right? But anyway, I might have, you know, we might be okay with that. But we're going to cap it at some point where we can be together, where we can work through stuff. It's not going to be interactive. Raise your hand. Tell me what you're most scared about. None of those weird, awkward moments. Most of it's going to be my wife and, and me sharing with you. But it's an opportunity for us to take that next step together. And I encourage you to be a part of that. Um, Let's pray together. And offer up ourselves to God as, uh, as people who need to be reminded of how awesome he is and how awestruck we should be. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for being a God who saves. For my friends who are in this place who have never taken the step of becoming a follower of Jesus, I pray right now that around the room you'll hear their hearts, you'll hear their prayers, and you'll heal their lives. I pray you give them the courage to go public with that decision through baptism. And I pray that daily you would remind them of the filling of the Spirit and how you are our power to overcome the struggles, temptations, addictions, uh, emotions in our lives that we battle every day. And God, for those who have already done those things or are a part of the church, but they're just hungry for more and they're ready to take that next step. God, we look forward to seeing that unfold for them, whether it's in uh, the context of our all-in group that we're about to begin 
or whether it's just in one-on-one conversations, finding out opportunities where they can serve or where they can plug in, whatever that may be. God, we are not a perfect people, but we are your people. And although our record is not uh, without blemishes, without mistakes and failures and sins, God, because of what Jesus has done, we are righteous before you, and we are justified. We're able to live our lives just as if we had never sinned because of the way you see us. So thank you for that promise, and thank you for covering us the way you do. Thank you for your mercy. God, as we as a church family close this day together, I pray that you would hear this song as our cry to worship and as our response to what you've done for us, our King of kings, our Lord of lords, the author of our stories and sustainer of our lives. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.